Welcome, everyone, to a bonus episode of the Infertility Feelings Podcast. Bonus! Bonus! We are at the third step in our three-part series about adoption. If you are just finding this podcast right now, this is part of a three-part series where we talked about adoption. We talked about uh, how you move on throughout your infertility journey, and then maybe if it works out for you that this is what you want to do, how do you move on to adoption? We talked about all the things that we learned throughout our adoption journey. This bonus episode is specifically about how we get started with adoption. We get this question a lot. So this is kind of a deviation from our normal infertility feelings podcast. But since we get this question so much, and since we've been through it, we thought we would take some special time to answer the common questions that we get about how you get started in the adoption and foster care world. And just break down if some of the early steps that you could take. If you're like, I'm ready to go. I'm, f- I'm following along with you. And this has always been on our heart and we want to do it. Well, after this episode, you will know what your first steps can be. One of the things about this episode is that this will be in a lot of ways, like drinking from a fire hose. We're going yes. to throw a ton of information at you. So get your pencil and paper out. This would be a perfect pencil and paper episode to write down some of those things because yeah, you were going to go from a fire hose. Are so. you saying that our other episodes are not pencil no, and paper they episodes? Just only no paper, no pencils, no pens. How many people, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most people listen to podcasts when they're driving. Is yes, that true? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of people that say they listen to it at work or going to work or going on a drive. That's where I listen to it. Or I'm like folding laundry. I listen to yeah. podcasts or in the grocery store. That's my new favorite place. Podcast in the grocery store. That doesn't throw you off, get you confused about, you know, uh, milk, eggs. No, it's already, grocery stores are already just so much more sad because you have to wear a mask and no one's looking at you and everyone's trying to stay six feet apart that you can just be in your own world. I've danced in you. grocery stores within like listening to like, or like, Oh, that's so good. Or, uh, and then now I, the other day I just listened to music. I just listened to music in the grocery store. While you're in the grocery store. Wow. Nice. I know. Um, we love doing podcasts. It's been such a fun journey for us to explain, you know, a little bit about who we are and more about things that we have uh, learned and things that we've gone through. This episode is a perfect example of we get this question all the time and yep. we've always wanted an avenue to just throw out this information of how you get started in adoption and foster care. So we're excited to do it. Yep. To jump into the topic and start thinking about adoption and foster care, we want to tackle this first question. The question is, how do I mentally start to get ready and start to wrap my mind around adoption and foster care? You may want to immediately jump into the logistics, but the logistics won't make as much sense. The logistics will uh, kind of seem like a giant spaghetti bowl of information unless you start to get your mindset in the right place to understand it's because it's a complicated world and there are some tips and tricks that we could give you so that you are mentally prepared to even understand the logistics. So Jesse, in your journey, what have been ways that you have started to mentally get into the right headspace for adoption and foster care? Great question. I will say this answer for now until the end of time. I think a great first <laughs> step, literally, in our Instagram 10 years from now, someone will ask me this question and I will say the same answer. I would say a great first step would be to go hang out with a family that has adopted children. We would be a great family to do that for. We have um, a son who is um, seven years old who is adopted and we have a nine-year-old foster placement, something like that. I think a good thing, if you don't know anyone like that, that has a family like that, I would put it out there on Instagram, not like, does anyone have adopted children that we could come hang out with? Not that, but put itself out there that you're interested in something like that. The chances are you probably know someone who has adopted. Exactly, exactly. And I would just observe, I think this is a great first step for someone who is open in, in, in a relationship and then maybe someone who's not open in a relationship about adopting. Like, Just go, pick their family's brain, observe them, see what it's like, ask them questions, um, ask them what avenue they went down. Just put yourself out there, get yourself more comfortable because also they would be awesome to be friends with if you have, if you do end up adopting children. So you can go back to them and be friends with them and you can have um, community of kids that are adopted and know them. 
these adoption stories don't exist in a vacuum. They are full of people. Yeah. And those people have a wide variety of way that these stories come about. So it's it's just mentally a good place to start to realize that, you know, on paper there's how logistically how adoption and foster care works, but it's played out in people's lives. And you you almost got you got to understand that and mentally see that before you even go on. And I think a good thing that, you know, what also could come out of this would be if someone doesn't want to adopt, you yeah. know what I mean? It might tell you <laughs> might every, be a rude awakening. Yeah. Might tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> we hung out with this family and I don't want to do that or whatever. And that doesn't make you a bad person. I think it's no. just a really good risk-free step. The second one. Um, yeah. Can you imagine just going from zero exactly. to adoption without ever really I mean, we kind of did that. Yeah, we it's did that. tough. It's really tough. Yeah. It's so much better to start with people. Yes, start with people. And then my second tip would be try to find an adult in your life who was adopted and ask them about their journey, what it was like, what was hard about it, what was great about it, and just pick their brain. The more people you could do that, the better. And yes, again, you could say, I don't know anybody that has been adopted. Once you start putting it out there, it's shocking what shocking, can come your truly, way. Yeah. I had a best one of my best friends who was adopted. So yes, it was easier for me. And I we had a very open relationship. So we had already talked about that kind of stuff. And I knew her journey. But if even if you don't have someone right now in your circle, just start putting yourself out there and hang out with them and kind of make it blunt if you don't know them that well that you're kind of wanting to talk about their adoption journey so they can also be prepared. <laughs> Instead yeah. of like, you want to go to Starbucks and then it's like so like... What's your adoption journey about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, if you don't know them very well and they're more of an acquaintance, ask them, hey, I'm thinking about adopting. My husband and I are thinking about adopting. My partner and I are thinking about adopting. We would love to talk to you and see what that was like for you. And adoptions are happening all over this country all the time. They should be uh, more talked about. We should, as a society, be able to talk about this thing that's happening all the time. So even just doing this and taking this step normalizes adoption and helps us see it in a different light. I think one of the myths about adoption is that if they are born out of the womb and you take them home from the hospital that they have no trauma um, or if they have no connections to any of their family that's the most ideal adoption and they are trauma free and I just we just don't think that is true um, so there's something I would get familiar with um, something called trauma-informed care our favorite version of trauma-informed care is something called TBRI um, which stands for trust-based relational intervention. It comes out of Texas Christian University and kind of brought into the world by a therapist named Karen Purvis. Who is my idol. <laughs> she does a really great job of helping us understand that kids who come from hard places um, have a different way of learning and growing and feeling safe. So if you're jumping into this world of adoption and foster care, um, like mentally starting to understand that the parenting looks a little different is really important. Exactly. So Karen Purvis, like Doug said, um, is my idol. And um, her book, The Connected Child, um, is really, really, really good. And that's a really, really, really good first book to get your feet wet um, in um, to learning what it's like to be adopted and what they go through and how the parenting skills can be a little bit different. She has Connected Child and The Connected Parent. Another really good resource is to go into an adoption agency or a foster agency and just take their first step class. We went to a service when we were thinking about adopting of a um, get to know adoption, kind of like what's going it's, to it's gonna entail. And it was a six hour class. It was really long. I still think about things that they taught us in that class. Um, so that is a really, really good step. And it's really good stuff to go with your partner. Um, I think it can really lead to good conversations on the way home. Oh my gosh, this. Oh my gosh, this is this something we want to do. You know, all those kind of things. The last resource I would say, especially if you are um, wanting to foster older children, there is a book called Maybe Days and you can get it off Amazon. It is so good. I have read it with our placement multiple times. It is a really great way to, um, it explains beautifully the process, um, the almost legal process that's going mm-hmm. on with them. It explains what the social worker's doing, what the judge is doing, what everybody's doing, what you're doing, what their birth parents will do, are doing. Um, and it's really, really good. And I, at first when I presented this to our foster um, placement, she was like, no, I don't want to read that book. And then I just <laughs> was like, let's just give it a whirl. And then the next day she asked me to read it to her. Um, so it's really, really, really great. A great resource. That book, maybe days. So you may be thinking why emotionally 
start and mentally start wrapping your mind around foster care and adoption first. It's because I, these processes are deeply connected to people and you know we can understand from the outside all of the logistics of how it works but the second you jump in you're dealing with people you're dealing with social workers or or you know you know admins and placement workers and then eventually babies and kids and parents it's so if you're not emotionally understanding the context of what's going on and mentally there, it can be, it can be hard uh, to, to just jump in without having that right mindset. So that's our first step. Mentally start to wrap your mind around all this. So yes, mentally to get yourself to wrap, start wrapping your mind in a very risk-free way of being mentally prepared would be, you know, hang out with a family that has adopted children, hang out with someone who has adopt, who is adopted themselves, um, start going what path you want to go down, adoption and foster care, go to their opening night, um, get Karen Purvis, the connected child, and maybe days on Amazon. So now we're going to talk about how logistically um, you can kind of get your feet wet and kind of understand um, both of these worlds. I was totally unprepared getting into this, that there was a difference between adoption and foster care and what they were. So Doug, what is the breakdown of like kind of getting your feet wet logistically stepping into this world? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to break it down between two words, public and and private. And those will kind of be the the dividing line between the two different ways that you can go. And the reason I break it down between public and private is because uh, the home study that you'll have to do, the investigation into your family and, and, you know, approving of your home to bring kids into your life, they are kind of broken down between a public and a private uh, home study. So there's, there's two different avenues. The private avenue is the avenue of adoption and even international adoption um, through a variety of different ways are all private ways of doing adoption. And even just to logistically break down the options that you have within a private adoption, there are adoptions that you could do at an adoption agency. There are adoptions that you could do internationally and domestically at that agency. There are also adoptions you could do directly with an adoption attorney. There are adoptions that you could do through an adoption facilitator in partnership with that adoption attorney. There are also situations where you meet someone and just know someone from either your family or from the public who is entered into a contract with you and that attorney to do a public, uh, a private, I'm sorry, a private adoption. And that's kind of what we had. We had a connection to someone that we, you know, just a cousin of ours knew someone at a pool party and, and knew that this adoption needed to take place. We then got in contact with that adoption attorney to have that adoption go through. I would say if that happens to you and it is a random situation, absolutely get an attorney. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're thinking, okay, I want to go down the private avenue and the private route, what are my options? Again, those are your options. The, the, the avenue of an adoption facilitator and an adoption attorney is less common. Probably what's more common is going through an adoption agency. And what these agencies do is they have a network throughout the country where they are, they are uh, advertising and, and explaining to birth moms that they have an avenue for their children to be adopted should they want to do that. And the ad- adoption agency is finding these people vetting these people, explaining to them what adoption is, explaining to them uh, what rights they have and what the relationship will look like with their children afterwards. They, they kind of really do a lot of that legwork for you. And then once that birth mom has decided or birth family has decided, we want to do this, we are not in a, a place where we are capable to raise this children. We want to put our child up for adoption. Then they are going to show them all of the different profiles of people who have come to the agency to, to offer up their family as a possible placement for that child. That service is going to be the most expensive and probably longest service because there is the least amount of risk on you, the adoptive parents. Exactly. So you have a you, lot of people working for you. You're bringing right. a lot of people in to kind of be the middleman in between the birth mom and yourself. Right. Uh, uh, there are 
there are individuals all around this country who need to place their children up for adoption. It's not always easy to find them. It's not, you know, it's not like they're like advertising themselves on the internet that they want to do this, that like, oh, I need someone to adopt. It's, it's hard to find these situations. The agencies have a, a large con- connected network of finding people who are in this situation. So in a lot of ways, you are paying for those services, those, you know, those advertising services, the ability of that agency to find these people, the the attorneys that they work with, the admins, the counselors, you're helping, you know, the money that you pay goes towards all of that. It is illegal in United States to pay for a child. That's not how it works. You are never giving money to someone for their child. But what you're doing is paying for all these different services. At times, you're actually paying to help cover the rent of maybe the person who's giving their child up for adoption. You're maybe helping pay their medical bills, whatever the agreement is. So the the cost at times of going through an agency can be anywhere from fifteen to really thirty five thousand dollars, if not sometimes forty forty five thousand dollars, depending on if you're doing it domestically or internationally. So if the agency adoption is the safest for the adopting family, uh, it's also the most expensive, the least amount of risk going down. And and can be the longest wait. It's true. Yeah, it can be a a much longer wait. Uh, Sometimes the wait time is up to two years. Right. Correct. um, Which is not bad. Yeah. uh, But it's the the, the work is really being done for you and and you're paying for that and you're and you're experiencing what the the agency is doing a lot of those things for you. Uh, Going down in that same that same avenue though, the private adoption. Next, there is the, uh, the avenue of saying that we want to work directly with an adoption attorney and a facilitator. So what you're doing is you're kind of piecemealing together what an agency is able to do. So you're, the facilitator is the person who's uh, finding these situations where people are wanting to give their children up for adoption. And then from there, there is this handoff where they say, we have found, you know, mother A, she's willing to uh, place her baby up for adoption. She's looking for someone who'd be willing to do it. We think that you would be a good match. And then they hand off that relationship. From there, it's really your responsibility to nurture that relationship and then bring in the adoption attorney. So you're kind of stepping in and doing a lot of the work that the agency would be doing. You're more of a quarterback kind of or a, a director of the whole thing when, you've, when you're going down the, the route of adoption facilitator and attorney. And this is the route that we did. This is it. If people want to know, we, you know, I mean, we, this is the route that we did. We got connected with a facilitator. They kind of, in a way, like help you shake hands. Like, yep, we got the birth mom and we have you and we shake hands and we meet. And then it's kind of more on you to work with your attorney and you to be the one that connects and facilitates it all. Um, That's why it was also really hard for us to do this kind of our first time doing it. If you go back to our episode before this, we talk about that of, you know, you know, this is why it was hard. It was a lot on us, but also this is the least, the less expensive also. Right. So the re- so you might even think like, why would anyone not go through an agency? Why would they use a, an adoption facilitator? And what a facilitator actually does, like I said, is they're finding the couples and they're facilitating the relational handoff. Really, that's what they're doing. Correct. Right. So why would anyone do that? It's it's less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, a facilitator facilitator can cost anywhere from you know, six, $7,000 all the way up to about $12,000. And, and once you have that relationship, then you go to the attorney, you, you know, you and the, uh, the, the parents who want to put their child up for adoption and the adoptive parents then go and bring in an adoption attorney. And those legal fees can cost anywhere from 18 to $25,000, you know, any, anywhere within there. So you're looking, you know, at $25,000, um, it's still expensive. It still is expensive. There's still a lot of money involved, um, but there is more control. You're you're more involved and deeply entrenched, really, in in the situation. Exactly, but you're also the one that's facilitating it all. Like Doug yeah, was. It the is one a lot of work. Was, it can be a lot of exactly. work. Exactly. It's like if you think about it this way, it's like this: the the agency is almost doing all of that for you and you work with their attorneys and you work with you know their therapists and all that and. Um, it's almost like, but that just costs more money. So if you want right. to go this way, it's like it's less money, but the work is more on you. 
And at times an adoption attorney can have a facilitator that they work with. Mm -hmm. So you can go to an attorney that, that, you know, historically does a lot of adoption cases and they can say, well, we have a, a, a facilitator or basically like a marketing person that we work with that markets our services out to all of these different birth moms. So there's different ways that you can kind of get set up with a, the facilitator adoption attorney combo. And what I would say is it's not on you to do all the legal stuff. If you have a good attorney, they will walk you through what you should be doing, your decisions, all that. It's more like it's your job to be the one to be working on the relationship. Right. That's what I would say. And I think if you wanted to go to a service, they would more help you and kind of be the middleman of the relationship. Right. The last option that you could think about maybe in that private adoption avenue is just advertising that you're open to adopting and and putting yourself out there and almost doing some of that finding, so to speak, yourself. So that's also what we did too as well is just advertise literally on our Instagram and say, we're adopting. And if you know of anyone or a situation that we should be made aware of, let us know. And more often than not, that actually ends up working. A lot of the stories that we hear come from someone who knew someone who said, oh, you know that that couple is adopting and you should go and talk to them. So don't underestimate your ability just to put the word out there in your own local community. And what would happen in that situation is you wouldn't be paying the facilitation fee, but you would just come to an adoption attorney with this possible situation. And then that attorney would take it from there. One thing I would say, though, is if you do have a random situation, it is absolutely necessary to get an attorney. They will help you. They will walk you through it legally. They will help you in the courtroom. Um, So, yeah, I just think it's very important if you do have a random situation like our situation was um, to get an attorney. They can be they they are a must to me. They are a must. Yeah. And a lot of times there are things that you can't do on your own. Exactly. Um, You have to have an attorney filing for you. Right. Um, or, Or there's work that is just. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to become a lawyer in your spare time to figure out how to do these things. So an adoption right. attorney is, is your best friend. I would say after thinking about, again, brief recap about the private adoption route at the highest, least amount of risk, most amount of money at the very top, there is the adoption agency that's doing all the work for you. But it does take a long time and the cost is there. Going down that road, there's the matching it up, the facilitator and the adoption attorney. Again, still expensive. There's just going to the attorney and then at the very bottom, probably the most amount of risk, but the least amount of money is just putting yourself out there and finding people who are in the situation and then coming to the attorney. Even hearing myself say all of that, that is a huge list of players and there is so much to learn. So again, that's why we started with the mental thing, you know, finding someone who's done this before because learning that list of players, understanding their roles, understanding what they do is really important because, you know, a lot of people are going to advertise their services and say that they can solve these problems for you. And, you know, Oh, we're going to, you guys are so awesome. We'll find a baby for you and it's going to work out so great, but there is risk involved and there is finances involved. So understanding who everyone is, is really important. One thing I would say is you can't go into adoption wanting it to be absolutely risk-free. Right. Every single avenue has some sort of risk. It's what you choose and how risky you want to be. But a lot of people will be like, I just don't want to go. I want to go in and, you know, it just happened and it all happens. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, it's, at times it can, but at other times it can't. Yeah, so I it's, think, sometimes it can work out and that's great. But yeah. when you're walking into it, you have to know that there's going to be some level of risk. Like I remember one time someone was like, does the birth mom sign something that they have to give you the baby even in a service? No, they don't have to sign. Like there's going to be some sort of risk even down to the last minute um, of changing. And you have to, I think, think about all that beforehand is that adoption is not risk-free. There's no avenue that has absolutely zero risk. Right. And you and your family and your partner have to figure out what you're willing to do. How much risk are you willing to open yourself up to? And, And another thing, Honestly, how much work you're opening yes. <laughs> open yourself up to. Yes. Um, to go down the route of working with a facilitator and managing a lot of those relationships and connections is a ton of work. I mean, it's, it is. It, it's like part-time job level, 
20 hours a week level type work and you have to know a lot about what you're doing and you have to really invest a lot of yourself. So knowing what you're capable of is incredibly important, especially in the private adoption route because the higher you go and the more services you get, uh, the more you're looking at $30,000, $40,000. The less services that you get, the more of an investment it is in time. So really, the, the investment's going to be there. You just kind of have to figure out at what level and what are you willing to sacrifice And I think this it. is why it's so important to also go back and check your motivation, yes. too. <laughs> and like in our last podcast, like right. you're going into this, you know, wanting it to be so easy, wanting it to be risk-free, running. It's like, and that does happen, but just check your motivation of why you're doing that, which we talked about in our last podcast. Exactly. So if that's all the private options, there are public options. And the public options are what you would might classically think of foster care. And in the, the main difference between private and public is that in public options, the kids have been taken out of situations that the state has deemed uh, unhealthy for children to be in. So if the private options where you're working with uh, individuals who are looking to place their children up for adoption, it's the individuals and the birth moms who have made this decision in the public option, the foster care, care. which is foster care, the foster care side, the state has decided that these kids need a place to go. So it's not the parents. And let's just sit with that for a second, because I think that's a very important distinction is the birth mom is wanting to place her baby up for adoption. Maybe not always. I think there's some situations where, you know, but they realize that they need to. Yeah, but they need to. And in foster care, it's not coming from the birth mom. It's coming from the state. And so that cases, is a really good thing to sit on. And normally in some cases, most cases, it's for reasons that the child is in danger somehow, being neglected or abused. You know, so I think that's a really good instinction to sit yeah. on just for a second of like, that's really the main difference, I would say. Yeah, and that that changes everything. And it changes, it changes everything. everything. The, you know, and a lot of times the parents who've had their children removed from their home want them back. Exactly. And, and they're actively working to, to bring them back into their home. In one of our, you know, trainings for foster care, they uh, had a, this, do this example of, you know, I have my child and they had, they had us do it. They had me do it. I was the person that they asked and they said, okay, you have your son and um, you, um, whatever happened and you had him getting taken out of your home and, and, they said to think about your son that you have in your home. Think about that. And whatever happens, they took him out and they gave him to this family right here. And the family was sitting at the next table next to us. And this is this family and they're going to love them. And now you can only see them twice, twice a week. Yeah. How would you feel? (laughs) That was, and, and she said that she said, how would you feel? And she put the microphone in my face and she said, how would that make you feel? And I said, angry. And she was like, exactly. Like, so I think that's an important piece to also know of like, you know, even if these people are, or even if this birth family isn't, you know, doing what's great for them and not making great choices, it doesn't mean that they don't want their child. You know what I mean? And they might, and they right. might fight to get it back and they will really want it to get it back. Right. So the, the, at its core, foster care and adoption are, are really different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, and I think this is what's interesting is that about 50% of the cases that come into state care are, are needed to be adopted. They that, need to be adopted. That was mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it's that the, these cases, ideally, foster care would have removed these children and said this is not a healthy environment for them to be in. The family or the parent would, would then remedy that situation and then those children would be reunited to their families and foster care would only exist as this temporary couple month situation where their parents are kind of getting it together. But you know, this is a, a difficult world that we live in and situations are not always like that. And about 50% of the kids who enter the foster care system need to be adopted. And I think that that's a good point is you might not know that taking in a child. You really that's can't a, know that. Yeah, that's yeah. the hard part. Because a lot of these situations are coming out of a traumatic experience. And so the social workers on the back end are trying to figure out what happened, what's up with this family, and that in foster care, they're not only asking you know, their birth family, they're asking aunts, uncles, grandpas, aunts, uncles, and that might not happen where they get to that for weeks or months later. So I think that's a very important correlation is to um, 
know that really the social worker's job in foster care is to find someone in their family to take them. And 50% of the time, that happens. And foster care is a difficult world to understand. Risky so let, let one. Me, let me break it down for you. Foster care is, uh, it's not just one thing. In foster care, there are options where you can open up your family to just adoptive cases because there are there are children in our foster care systems that are are at a point in their case where they need to be adopted. And that's the phase of the, the, the case that they're on is that they're ready for adoption. So you can open yourself up just to that. You can open up yourself to just infants. You can say, we're willing to do foster care, but we only want to take children who are one or, you know, zero through six months old. And there are cases where uh, infants and babies are coming into the system and need someone to care for them. You can also say we're only interested in more um, more long-term cases. So cases that look like they're heading towards adoptions. You can also do things where you can say, we're only open to doing respite care where when a foster parent goes on vacation or is away from town, we're willing to take those kids in for a weekend or a couple weeks. There is just tons of different options for ways that you can support the kids who are in the foster care system. If you're thinking now, well, we want to we want to adopt, we want to have kids be in our house permanently, well, foster care is still a very interesting and, and viable option for you to have a more permanent solution for kids in your care. Like we said about 50% of the kids who enter the system end up being adopted. We have found, and this is just our opinion, but we have found that if you want to adopt through the foster care system, what's actually best to do is to work with a agency, which we'll talk about in a second, work with an agency that works in the foster care system and say, we are open to more long-term cases that look like they're heading toward adoption. And there are lots of kids in this situation. The foster care world is an is incredibly confusing world. Um, so you even can probably hear in us the way we're talking about it. There's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom that you need to have and a lot of like insider information. So what we have found works really well when it comes to the foster care world is to work with an agency. Yes. So the way that the the that the public world works is that there is the state foster care systems, the county foster care systems, and they are, you know, government agencies. They work with the the child protective services, they work with local law enforcement to protect the kids in our local communities. And the social workers they have there are 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 county social workers government workers who are working to protect these kids. Um, you can work as, a, as a, a foster parent, you can work directly with the county. You can go directly to these county social workers and become licensed directly through the county. But as you can even hear from the way that we're talking about it, foster care is a confusing world and it, and it really helps to have an ally and, a, and, and a, a partner who understands this world. So that's where you have an agency that comes in. Agencies are called foster family agencies. That's what they're called here in California. They may have a different name um, in the state that you're in. Or another thing is FFA. I didn't know yeah, that that's that, what that was that's, called. Yeah, that's what they that's what they stand for. FFA is stands for Foster Family Agency. Um, and when you partner with a FFA, they understand the foster world. They understand the rules and the the local rules in that county, and they should have great relationships and ties to the county workers in in that state. What's also great about them is they are great. They will do all of your trainings and, you know, our FFA is great at resources and just to have someone that's almost like your person that's helping you walk through this system and kind of hold your hand in a way. The way that an FFA works is that they are going to give you a social worker who is your social worker. Yep. When the county is involved, that county social worker is the social worker for the child. The FFA's social worker is a social worker for you and really the whole family. So yes, they're working with the child, but they're also working with you. And they kind of become your ally in the foster world. So we cannot suggest enough that you would work with an FFA. A lot of times the way a county will work is 
is that they will uh, have a child that comes into their care and they need that child to go somewhere. So, so what they'll do is they'll call the local FFA, the local foster family agency and say, what families do you have available? This is the situation that we have. So you are still getting kids directly from the county or coming to stay with you, but it's going through this relationship of an FFA. It's another level of protection and guidance that you have while going through the foster care system. When thinking about the foster care world and thinking about foster family agencies, thinking about county, county families, there is a huge amount of risk. The risk is really there. You know, on the private side, there is the possibility of risk. It's always there. On the public side, the foster care side, there is definite risk. Like there is an acknowledged risk. I mean, 50%, it's like the, the chances are, honestly, what the county is hoping for and really what your, your heart and hope should be that is that the child is reunified with their family if it's a good situation. If it's not a good situation and they need somewhere permanent to go, then you are open to being that place to go. But really, the whole thing is covered in risk. But as the risk goes up, a lot of times we find that the cost to the individual really drastically exactly. goes down. So in foster care, the whole, the whole thing is flipped on its head. And instead of you paying for these services, paying for the FFA, paying to work with the county, the county is actually paying you. They're not you know, just giving you money like you're an employee. What they're doing is they're reimbursing you for the expenses that you may have accrued through bringing in another child into your family. So it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like a, you think, oh, I do foster care, I get all this money. It's not how it works. What the county has acknowledged is that you're going to uh, accrue more expenses because you've brought this child into your family. Well, they want to reimburse you for that. So there really is no upfront, uh, upfront cost, and you're actually reimbursed for the expenses that you have with the child. Yep. So the risk is there, yes. Yes. But really, there's, there's no cost to you. That is the public and the private different ways. If you're thinking about which one is best for you, I would... I would I would say foster care. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what's um, best for you is foster care. Just kidding. Um, if you're thinking about what's best for you, I would think you need to start um, talking with your people, with yourself, journaling about what you're willing to do in the categories of risk in finances exactly. because th there's lots of finances involved on the private side. Uh, there's also risk involved on the private side. There's tons of risk involved with the foster care side, but there's way different situation with the finances. And I think one thing to add to that list is timing. Yes. The timing that you want, you know, the private side might be a little bit longer, mm -hmm. you know, and then in the, you know, the foster side, it could be the next day. It could be longer. You yeah. know, ours was actually nine months between when we became foster parents and when we got a long-term placement. But there so, are stories where it's like, but you know, there's stories like that every too. week that you're getting a right. call, but you could be getting a call that's not going to stay in your home forever. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, there's just risk. So I think, but I think timing is, is a good thing to add to that list. Risk, financially, time. And ultimately going back to the very beginning, if you're like, where on earth do I get started? If there's someone in your local community who has adopted or who has done foster care, go to them, buy them a large dinner, like <laughs> with like with appetizers, ask them if they drink dessert, maybe a bottle of wine and just say, tell me everything because really, you know, th this isn't like a service that you're paying for. Wait, are we telling someone that's in our community to do that for us? Because that's, oh, that, yeah, maybe that's, <laughs> I drink red wine. <laughs> I love filet mignon and all the sides that go with it. Just be that's, ready. That's I can, all it takes. That's right all there. it takes. I will tell you everything I need to, you need to, but know. really the, you know, going the private route, going the, the foster route, these aren't just services that you pay for like satellite cable or something, or like, right. you know, they're not something where you take your car in, get it fixed. You pay this thing and someone does it for you. Th this is an education that you're kind of embarking upon. It's a way of life. And again, if you look, listen to the podcast that we did previous to this one, it's a service that you are learning and you are providing for a child, right. for a child. So you really are, are changing who you are and changing what you're able to do as a person right. and getting that education. In, in going along with that, to end this bonus podcast, we wanted to just throw, again, fire hose to your face. Get the pencil paper out. Throw some additional things to remember. So no matter if you're literally adopting right now, if you're in fo if you're fostering right now, or if even if you're just thinking about, these are important things to remember throughout your journey. 
the some of the biggest things that I can think of when it comes to just advice. If we're in an elevator and you're like, you've adopted in foster care, what do you say? This is what I would say. Things to remember is it's good if you're doing foster care particularly, it is good to attach. And I think it's important, and this is what Karen Purvis says, you are teaching them how to attach. So it's it's good that you're attaching to them. It's really hard, and it doesn't. That's the mean worry, that you, though, is people are like, if I get too attached and they go home, like what, what that'll be me? that'll be too hard for me. Yeah. What about me? And then if you're thinking about complete sidebar, if you're thinking about you know infertility and all that, and it's like wanting yeah. to serve, it's like that's even heavier and harder. But if you're going into it almost learning and teaching teaching them how to attach, yes, it's going to be painful if they leave you. Absolutely. But if you're going to it to serve them, you are teaching them how to attach to another human being, whether that be you if they stay with you or their birth mom or if even in some cases they go to another foster family yeah, you know that's what I mean so you're point. teaching them especially I think too with infants it's like small children like you're teaching them how to attach so they can uh, they can learn how to attach to another human being because attachment is something that you learn as exactly. a child and you need to learn it Exactly. Again, it's not for you, but the, for the child needs to learn this they need to learn the art of how to have an attachment exactly and when you attach to them, they will attach to you. But it's almost like a first and. Like you have to be open to wanting to attach and having them attach um, to you. Um, I think uh, another thing to remember with adoption um, is were language. This was something that we learned in when we went to our training um, of our adoption service was were language. Um, you were adopted, not you are adopted. Oh, that's good, yeah. Adoption happens one time. It is in a courtroom. The judge puts the gavel. It happened. Now, not to say that's, that's not a big... That's when you were adopted. That's when you were adopted. So I think it's like person first language. Like you are a person that was adopted. You know, yeah. not you are an adoptive person. It's a part of their story. It's always going to be a part of their story, but it's not who they are. Yeah, you would never want to say, oh, that's my adopted kid. Yeah, You'd exactly. You'd be like, that's my son whom we adopted. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's a very important to always um, think about it as in past tense, because I think when you, you know, constantly that's a part of their story and constantly that's what people are talking about around them. It can almost become an identity piece mm. and almost a separation piece. Um, so I think it's just always important to have war language. Another thing to remember is it's not your story. It is this child's story. Um, and we as Doug and I, we keep our um, birth, our, our children's birth um, families, their situations very private um, because it's not our story. We have some safe people that we talk to it about because we want people in our life to know what we're going through and we know what we're thinking and know what's going on with our kids. Um, but we really keep that private and you can't untell someone something. Mm. So just, I think it's very important. Some of these birth situations, especially, you know, in foster care, um, you know, can be very personal and very yeah. traumatic and, you know, they're heavy stories, they're yeah. heavy stories. And imagine now that person knows something about your child. Um, that's very heavy and traumatic. You wouldn't just go back to someone and be like, Hey, you want to hear all the traumas that I've had in my life? Like, no, like, you know, right. I wouldn't want someone telling my traumatic things that happened in my life. I right. want to tell them it's my story. And I know that that can be awkward. I am a hairdresser. I got questions 700 times a day yeah. about people wanting to know, you know, our son's birth mom story and our son's birth dad story and all that. And it is, it's really awkward. Um, but one piece of advice I would, I would give to you is just cut it before they even do it. Be like, you know, there's a lot of things in his, in his story that I'm not going to share. I don't feel comfortable sharing. And it's really his story. And I educate them. It's really his story. It's not mine, but this is what I'm going through. And this is what blah, 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 blah. Um, and almost cut it before they can even start asking questions. I feel like that's been really helpful and it's been amazing. They always are like, oh, yeah, great. Oh, that's great. You know what I mean? I've had no one that's like, really? That's rude because I deserve your whole story. You know, and they're curious. They're naturally curious, but it's pretty, it pretty deflates people pretty quickly when you just go, you know, I'm not going to share every part of his story. Um, and it's in foster care, you can't. Like, you are told not to share their story. Yeah, so. we're such curious people by totally. nature. There's it's nothing like, wrong. And nothing wrong with it. It's like, it's like, oh my gosh, how it's it feels like, how did this happen? You know, like, who, wh how, how did this whole thing come to be? But I think what we can do is we can share the parts of it that are 
connected to us. I, I that's my always my tactic is yeah. I say, oh my gosh, this is what I was going through. This is what I experienced. This is what I, you know, ha- all things that have to do with me. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, my son, you know, in the, his adoption, that he's his own person. He's going to grow up to be a man and he can share his version of the story whenever and however he wants. But I'm not going to jump the gun and share it for him. You know, I'm not going to like hold him back and be like, hey, this is this this is his story. Like this is his story to share whenever he's ready to do it. Think about the most personal things in your life and someone else is telling other people about that. Just keep that in mind. Um, and then the last thing I would say, which is really heavy, but it was really um, um, helpful for me in the way that I viewed um, adoption and foster care. I was listening to a podcast. It was uh, on the Enneagram and adoption. And it was That's like your, your that is like right my <laughs> like, oh, I love that kind of stuff. Um, but and it was really good. And if you want to DM me and ask me what it is, I can tell you. But um, it was just really good. And it was talking about how and this was in a, in, in a moment where I was really looking for adoption and foster care to serve me. Mm-hmm. And it was just a beautiful image. And um, I'll never forget what this one therapist said. She said adoption is an adoptive family is standing on a gravestone of another family. Oof. And that's really heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> and that's really hard. But it really opened my eyes to what's actually really happening. Because especially with our foster family or with our foster placement, Mm. she loves her family and, you know, like loves them and wants to still be with them. It's sad that it can't happen, but she still wants that. And I feel like it just that statement is really hard, but I think it just brews compassion for them. And you can just really be like, yes, like another family had to die for you to become in our family. And that is in adoption and foster care. And I think that's really, really, really important. It was really helpful for me um, to look at them as the big picture, not just them and our family and me trying to get stuff out of it. Like accepting every single piece of them and, yeah. a, and a big piece of them is that they have other family members, even if they are not alive anymore or, or in just jail. The, the, the story is, is changed. The, the yeah. narrative of what was going on in their life has changed to a point where there's like a death that's happened that, and it's totally different now. And it would be inappropriate almost just to say, don't worry about all that. You yeah. know, don't worry that's about not a part of you. Yeah. yeah. When it's so it, I mean, it's the core, I'm a part of the core of who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A really cool thing that I want to share um, next is I asked our nine-year-old foster placement and our adopted son this morning what they would want you to know. Hot off the press. Hot off the press. Um, what they would want you to know. We are very open with our children. We have, you know, adoptive language. You know, we talk about it all the time and we talk about infertility all the time in front of them. So they're very comfortable with this. And they've also been with us for a really long time. I think they feel very safe to share, which is very important. Um, But they gave you guys some tips. And this is from our nine-year-old. I asked her, I said, what would you want a family to know that was taking in um, a foster child? What would you want them to know from your perspective? And this is what she said which I think is really interesting. She said, have a bright house. And I was like, what did that mean? And she said, you know, having night lights was super helpful for her. Having a house that, that she could see where everything is and she didn't have to sit and guess um, what was behind that corner, what was behind that door. So I think that was really poignant to have a really bright house and especially night lights at night if they have to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, can you imagine being just placed in a new home that you know nothing about? You're so comfortable in your home, but they aren't. And I think lights are really helpful for that. Um, and that's from her own mouth. And she said games. Games are a very easy way to connect um, and toys um, are very important. That's what she said. She said plants, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) We just went on a huge like plant. Indoor plant kick. Indoor plant kick. And she was looking at the plant as she said it. But still, I mean, she loves plants. She loves, and I think in a way, if I'm, if I'm psychoanalyzing her, it's like a way of, um, I don't know, making it feel homey. You yeah, I mean? think I think the idea is that there is such a felt safety that they need. You know, like this exactly. is a scary moment for them. They're coming into your house, especially when they're older. So it's like all those ideas of I, I really want to feel safe. I want it to be bright, plants, not secluded. I want to play games. I don't want, you know, all exactly. those kind of things. Karen Purvis, if you don't know what felt safety means, Karen Purvis talks about that in her book, The Connected Child. And I think that's really important. Um, another th- the um, last thing that she said is to read if they're touchy 
which I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And she said, I'm really touchy. So I like to be touched and I like hugs and I like all that. But I don't know if every kid is going to like that. And yeah, you're I think, getting to know a new person. Right. And I think that was so like awesome for her to be like, look out for them to see what they to see what they do, to see if they're open to, to you know, touch and stuff like that and hugs yeah. and stuff like that. Um, which I think Karen Purvis has a lot. If they aren't a touchy ch- child, she has really good tips to help you with mm-hmm. that. Um, and then our son, we asked, which he's, he's a little younger, he's seven. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Um, he said that pets calm him down, which is very, very, very true, which is interesting because our nine year old is afraid of pets. So I don't think that's across the board for everyone, but I do think that there's a lot to say about animals. We have never seen our son be more calm and feel more safe when he, um, is around animals, frankly. Yeah. He no. has a hamster that he He's carries around. He's a dog around. whisperer. He is a dog whisperer. The dog calms down. He calms down. So I think that you couldn't be able to tell that um, until they came into your home. But for him, especially, he has a little hamster that he walks around, Gus Gus. And, you know, he loves that hamster. And he is very, very, like, sometimes when he's feeling out of control or feeling sad, we go, why don't you go hold Gus Gus? It's like, learn that. But then on the flip side, if you have an animal already, our nine-year-old was afraid of dogs. And we've had to work really, really, really hard to get her comfortable with that. Um, you know, so I think that's something to to think about too if you have an animal. And then the last thing that he said is that forts. He likes to feel small. He feels very comforted in, you know, tight spaces. And um, so, and that is very true about him. He rips apart our couch. Um, he likes to be under blankets. We have, um, what's the blanket we have for him? Um, a weighted blanket. A weighted blanket. I think weighted blankets are very important. Um, and he loves, and we call it his safety blanket. And a weighted yeah. blanket can kind of make you feel, you know, connected to the ground and grounded. Um, so that's those were our kids' tips to straight you. From, straight from their mouths. If you're straight wondering their what, what uh, adopted I literally foster have them kids would down. say, that's what they would say. I have them <laughs> written down right here. That's their tips. Thank you so much for joining us on this bonus episode of the Infertility Feelings podcast where we covered all the logistics of how to get started with adoption and foster care. Hopefully, this has been encouraging to you. You have definitely uh, drank from the fire hose of information. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, your brain is still intact. Ours is a little fried. Yep. Talking about adoption. Whew, there's a lot to say. This is there's why we had so much to, to say. I mean behind the scenes we tried to do this all in one podcast it's not and possible it burned and failed um so we were like we need to do this in a three-part series so thank you so much for listening and we hope we really hope it is helpful really our whole goal is to kind of learn from our mistakes but then also to be encouraged that you can do this and have the right language and get yourself educated um that you can be really amazing adoptive and foster um, parents because it really is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful journey. And no matter what pathway you go down, uh, we totally support you and honor you. Uh, This is a huge world that if you're thinking about joining, there is so much education that has to take place. There is so much change that will happen in your life. Uh, And we want to be allies for you and be in it with you. So we hope that you've learned some things. If you have any questions... Or we weren't clear on something. Yeah, please reach out. We would love to clarify and just help you along in this journey. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. We are so honored um, for every single listen. And we're so um, honored to share our story with you, our infertility story and our adoption story. And we really look forward to seeing you guys next week as we cover another topic on the Infertility Feelings Podcast.